Thank you very much, Toby. It's lovely to be here, to see all of you. Um, reading will come later. I promise I am speaking from the Bible. Um, and actually, I'm going to speak today about something that is not often spoken about, uh, certainly not in uh, close relationships that I maybe have had, um, maybe not in a church setting. Um, and to be honest, the subject exposes feelings that are not wholly comfortable for me always. Uh, I have felt guilt. I've felt shame. Um, I've felt jealousy and longing. Um, I've felt pride, even, surrounding this topic. And um, I also know for sure that I have not always let Jesus' prolific and radical teaching about this subject drop from my head to my heart and then out into the way I live my life. So that's just a confession at the beginning. I am going to talk about money. I don't know how that makes you feel, but that's where we're going today. Um, and money is talked about loads in the Bible. You can't really avoid it. I've tried, but you can't get away from it. Do you know that 11 out of the 39 parables are about money? That's almost a quarter. Not great at maths, but I think that's almost a quarter of the parables are about money. And 28% of the time that Jesus opened his mouth, it was to talk about money. So he had loads to say, and I suspect it was because it was super important. So I feel like the message is, if you've got ears to hear, let's listen. Let's not harden our hearts. Let's listen to what Jesus has to say about this. So just a little bit of context. Back in chapter 15, I think Darren was talking then, um, the message in that chapter was to the Pharisees, a specific group of people. This chapter is for Jesus' disciples, his closest followers, his friends. So it's a different audience. Maybe they'd forgotten what he'd been saying. Maybe they'd chosen not to listen to what he was saying. Maybe what he'd been saying had just stayed on the surface and it hadn't dropped down far enough. You know, these are people who are wanting to be with Jesus, become like him and do the things that he does. That's you and that's me. This message is for us. Okay, so we're in the Crazy Talk series, beautifully illustrated there. Crazy Talk, the parables, what are parables? Simple stories that Jesus told to give a super important message. Um, and he used brilliant illustrations. The purpose of the stories was to wake us up, wake the people up, shake them up, stop sleepwalking through your life, is how it sort of feels when you read these parables. Challenge to your lifestyle and remember who God is. Remember who God is. Remember who you are. That seems to be the kind of bedrock of all of these crazy stories. And why crazy? Because they're talking about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. Every parable tells us something more about what it is to have God as ruler and not me. What does it look like to have God in charge and not me in charge? That's crazy talk because we want to be in charge. Well, I certainly do. I, I want to be in charge of my life. 
So I think I'm going to say it a lot as I go through today. We're just being reminded constantly, who is God and who am I? And, you know, we pray um, in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. And what we're really saying there is, God, your way of doing life, your brilliant way of doing life here on this earth, break in your rule, you in charge here on earth. So I think these parables are like your kingdom come stories, little glimpses of what it would look like to have God in charge and not me. Toby reminded us a few weeks ago that actually it's only possible really to read these radical stories with the eyes of faith. And it's because what's being said feels really illogical. It feels scandalous, feels foolish, sometimes even offensive. So we need to open the eyes, uh, our eyes of faith. So just pray as we start, like, God, open our eyes. Give us eyes of faith to really understand what you're saying to us today. Okay, to the story. Do you want to read it? Brilliant. It's Luke chapter 9. No, it's not. It's Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9, please, Toby. Uh, it will come up on the screens as well. Let me find Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So it goes like this. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can be manager, you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that uh, when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 3,000 liters of oil, olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? 30 tons of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 24. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are with the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Amen. Great. Thanks, Toby. So, a rich man, he has a manager who runs his estate for him. He runs the money and the estate on his behalf. He's not doing a great job, uh, maybe being a bit wasteful with what he's been given, so he's fired. He's given termination notice. And the manager knows that he's not going to get another job in the same field because he's ruined the relationships with the people in the town. So he makes a plan and he says, okay, well, I'm going to reduce the debt. I'll reduce what's owed to my boss. And so I'll build a bridge with these people and I'll start to create better relationships so that when I am looking for another job in the future, 
maybe that will help me. Um, some commentators suggest that maybe what the manager did was just remove his fee. So that's why maybe he was called shrewd. I'm not going into the details, but that is one thought. Uh, so the outcome really is that everyone's happy. Those who owe money are super happy because they owe less. The rich man's reputation is undamaged, great. And the manager will have relationships that he can turn to in the future. Although he takes a financial hit, he's uh, sort of yeah, building relationships in another way. Okay, so that's my little retelling. It's a super complicated parable. And fortunately, commentators agree with me. So it's not just me trying to wrestle with it. A lot of people think this is really, really hard. Phew, I found it really tricky. And you're probably sitting there with a million questions. So go away and wrestle. I'd love you to. Come back and argue with me. I am going to stick with something very simple. And I'm going to think about the why. Why? is Jesus telling this story to his friends. And I've said it before, I think the ultimate why is because he wants them to remember who God is and remember who they are. And I suppose what he's really saying is, if that is true, like if you remember who God is and you remember who you are, how is that going to affect how you spend your money? And I want to choose two things uh, for us to take away about who we are. And the first is I think we are being called a fund manager and we're also being called a friend. So I think we are fund managers and we are friends. I'm going to unpick those two things today. That's what I'd love you to take away. Okay. So Jesus chooses a manager as the main character in the story. And I think he does that intentionally because a manager looks after someone else's money. And by using that as the main character, he's saying you are also like a manager. Friends, you're also a manager. You're also charged with looking after someone else's money. Don't forget that. The word that is used for manager in this passage in Greek is oikonomos. And it means steward or overseer. And when you are a steward or an overseer, you can't just do whatever you like with the money. You can't just go and spend it however you like. That's what the manager was doing, and he was getting in trouble for that. I think what Jesus is saying is this. The money you have is not yours, so stop acting as if it is. The money you have is not yours, so stop acting as if it is. Maybe what had happened was that the, the disciples had started to internalize a message of achievement and reward. I know I have. I think a lot of us probably in our culture have internalized similar messages. I mean, how often have we heard something like this? Oh, yeah, well, they've worked really hard. They've earned what they have. They deserve that. They've worked really hard, so they've earned it. I mean, hands up if you've heard anything along those lines. Or what about this? If I have money, I made that money. It was my hard work. It was my savvy. It was my skill. I made that money. 
Jesus is saying, no, it's not. You're a manager. You're looking after someone else's money. Timothy Keller, he unpicks it brilliantly, way better than I could. He says this, okay, you say you've worked hard. Great. What did you work hard with? Okay, I'm alive. It's very difficult to make money if you're not alive. Tick. Okay, you're healthy. Well, you know, we live in a world in which we're all slowly unraveling, physically. So wouldn't the better question be, wow, I mean, how come God has held me together for this long? Every day that I'm alive, and every day that I have the health to go to work, is a gift from God. Okay, fine, I'm alive, I'm healthy, but what about my talents? Where did I get those? How about my circumstances? Well, Keller says this, if I had been born on a mountain in Tibet in the 13th century, I could have worked really hard and it wouldn't have got me very far. I have worked really hard with the circumstances God gave me, the talents God gave me, the life that God gave me. It's not mine, it's God's. Somebody who knew this really well was David, King David in the Bible. And boy, he had reason to boast. Go and read about him. He was really cool. But he knew who God was, and he knew who he was. And this is what he says. Oh, actually, do you know what? I thought I had a little poster, but I don't. So now I have to find Chronicles. Help! Oh, oh, phew, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right, bear with me for one second. I wanted this to be ever so slick, but I think I've found it. Hold on, hold on. Here we go. Right, this is what David says. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Wealth and honor come from you. Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We have given you only what has already come from you. get myself organized. Good. Okay. So the reminder there, you are a fund manager. You are looking after riches on behalf of somebody else. Okay. So what do we do with that? Great. What are we going to do with our material wealth? Well, this is the second thing that I think you are, and I am. We're both a fund manager and a friend. Back in our story, if we look at our manager again, his awakening, his kind of um, eyes opening starts when he loses everything. So losing his job would be for him losing his security, definitely losing his money, but losing his security, losing his significance, losing everything that was familiar to him. And if we look at verse 9, I don't think it's going to be possible, but it says, 
Um, use your material wealth to make friends for yourself so that when it is gone, that tiny little phrase is so important here because Jesus is saying, when it is gone, this is going to happen to us as well. It might already have happened to you. You might already have found yourself in a situation where everything you knew that felt secure and significant is gone. And then what? I don't know who I am if, you know, maybe the manager felt like that too. And Jesus is saying, yeah, when it's gone, this is going to happen to us at some point. We're going to be confronted with who we really are and who God is. There is no investment. There is no material uh, possession, no asset, no place that is going to really last. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, Money promises so much. It promises us security. It promises us significance. It's really sneaky like that. But it will fail. You know, everything ultimately is going to break or die or rebel against us. I've, some of you I know will have read this book. It's brilliant. It's called The Salt Path. I recommend it if you like a sort of slow, meandering amble along a south coast path. It's beautifully written. It's a story of a couple in their late 50s, and they're sort of nearing the settling down stage of life. But for all sorts of reasons, they lose everything. Their home, their financial stability, their reputation, even um, the husband's health. And the author says this, the whole construct of our life had gone. The whole construct of our life had gone. What we thought was secure was finished. And so what they do is they pack a tent and they each have a backpack and they walk the South Coast path. I find that really hard to say. South Coast path. <laughs> and um, it's beautifully written, but essentially what happens during the course of the story is that they find each other and they find beauty and they find simplicity and they sort of start to make room for wonder and make room for awe and for the people that they meet along the way. And they have these amazing interactions with people that they would never ordinarily have made the time to talk to. And uh, they start to see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as friends. A beautiful story, which I think is saying exactly the same thing as we're seeing here. The manager has this awakening moment through adversity. What can I put my money into that will last? What in the long run actually will have value? And Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. To gain friends for yourself. Spend your money forwards. I think what he means by making friends for yourself, yeah, definitely, like take your mate for a coffee. Super simple, we can all make choices. Open your home, I don't know, make a meal, take some flowers. I think it's that and it's a whole lot more than that. I think it's not just about our cozy little what's comfortable for us dinner party world. 
I think this is about blessing neighbors. It's about seeing strangers as neighbors and neighbors as friends. People in your ordinary, everyday life who might one day say to you, thank you. Thank you for caring about me. Thank you for opening your home to me. Thank you for rearranging your life to make room for me. Thank you. I um, read a news article last week about Bill Gates. Bill Gates, co-founder of Microsoft. Uh, most of his life, or his adult life, let's say, he spent it being the richest person in the world. And this is what he had to say in an interview last week. He said this, he would rather pay for vaccines than travel to Mars, which he does not think is a good use of money. It's actually quite expensive to go to Mars. You can buy measles vaccines and save lives for 814 pounds per saved life, he told the BBC. And so that just kind of grounds you, as in, don't go to Mars. His fellow entrepreneur, Elon Musk, feels quite differently because his desire is to colonize Mars. So just two very different fund managers using what they've been given really differently. I think Jesus is saying, use worldly wealth to make friends, notice human need. That's what we've been given. Okay, I'm getting there. I feel like if we are grasping, holding on to, clinging on to, um, for a false sense of what's going to give us security and significance, we don't have room for people around us. I think Jesus is saying, don't cling to something that's going to fail. Stop gripping so tightly onto something that is going to ultimately fail you. Make room, make space for what's going to give you real security and real significance. And that is relationships, relationships with each other, relationships with our loving father. And Jesus is the perfect example of this. You know, he attached himself to nothing here. He knew who God was. He knew that he had all the riches of heaven, of his heavenly father at his disposal, both materially but also emotionally. That love, that security, that safety, it was all available to him. And as a result, he could just, he gave it. He made space for everybody. There was room for everyone to feel the same. He clung to nothing and made space for all. How amazing. I'm going to finish with um, some words from Philippians. I can never quite say it. Philippians chapter 2. Here we go. I don't know if they're going to come up, but if they don't, don't worry. Just I'll go slowly. So Philippians chapter 2, and it's verses 5 to 8. 
So listen to this about Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross.